climate change is, is influencing, I suppose, we have more extreme weather conditions. We have, you know, things like wildfires. And also internally, we have a lot more things in our homes now that can be a potential sensitizer or cause an allergic reaction, ranging from, you know, the, the materials in the walls of your home right through to maybe chemicals that you use or cleaning products that you use on a daily basis. And all of those are capped within our more and more airtight and energy efficient homes, which means we're more susceptible to. Welcome to On The Mission with Norwex Learning Network. I'm Amy Kadora. I created this show to help raise awareness about issues that can impact our quality of life, including harmful chemicals, plastic pollution, and sustainability. We'll also explore the simple changes that you can make to improve you, your families, and the planet's health. Dr. John Ryan is a highly experienced sustainability professional and has served on the boards of private and not-for-profit entities in healthcare, sustainability, business representation, and internationally traded services. He's vice chair of the Respiratory Wellness Initiative with the Global Wellness Institute and also a member of the American Cleaning Institute Future Leaders External Stakeholders Panel. Currently, he's the chief strategy officer at Allergy Standards, a privately held healthcare business, and he holds a PhD from the University College Dublin, Ireland, and a Bachelor of Science from University College Galway in Ireland. Well, thank you for joining us today. I am Amy Backus, Mission Marketing Manager, reporting to Amy Kadora. She's unable to make it today, so I will be interviewing Dr. John Ryan. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Nice to speak to you, Amy. Nice to speak to you. We're looking forward to hearing more about allergies and asthma and how we can make changes in our lives. To start, I was reading with more than 50 million people in the U.S. experiencing various types of allergies each year, and allergies being the sixth leading cause of chronic illness in the U.S. Can you tell us a little more about the types of allergies and what causes them? Sure, I'd be delighted to. I suppose the the allergy space is is quite broad. It ranges everything from food allergies through to uh, those minor discomforts that one gets at certain times of the year. I suppose in, in 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 our business line, we're mostly involved in the area of um, respiratory allergies. So what is an allergy? So it's a, a very common chronic disease. What does that mean? A chronic disease is something that lasts a long time or occurs often. And if somebody has a particular allergy, it can be something they have with them through their life or indeed develop uh, as they get older in life. Um, and an allergy occurs when your immune system sees something as harmful and it overreacts to it. So the Substances that cause those reactions are called allergens. So you might hear sometimes somebody saying, you know, I have a shellfish allergy. It's that a particular protein perhaps in that shellfish causes your body to overreact and that's why you feel so so ill. And when somebody has allergies, their immune system makes an, uh, an antibody and those, they respond to the allergies and the symptoms um, are a result, that result are called an allergic reaction. And sometimes that can be just, you know, something that's discomforting Otherwise, uh, in some cases, that could be life-threatening. And for people who suffer from, you know, uh, chronic asthma and where they have a known trigger um, that can uh, cause such a reaction, understanding that and trying to prevent it is really, really important. Um, and in the area of respiratory allergies, there's generally two kind of main sections, if you like. So you have uh, allergic rhinitis, which is 
hay fever, effectively more commonly known. And we're coming into the kind of season for that now, I guess. And that's when you have those nasal symptoms. You know, you get that itchy nose, the watery eyes. It's discomforting. Um, whereas if you have allergic asthma, it's a different part of your respiratory system. You feel that in your lungs. You feel that tightness across your chest. And it can be quite frightening for, for people. Um, so they're the kind of the main areas that we operate in, in, in allergy standards and with our partners. We're in that respiratory allergy piece, trying to help people breathe the higher quality air, something we're also attuned to at the moment, spending so much time indoors. And there's lots of things, unfortunately, in our indoor air environment uh, that can trigger th these types of allergies. Can you tell us a little bit more about those triggers and what people can do? Sure. Um, so I think for anyone who suffers from an allergy, it's really important to try and understand what is triggering it. So um, that might be a particular chemical. It can be pollen, for example, pet, uh, more specifically, not your dog or your cat, but their dander. Um, it can be dust. It can be smoke. It can be even stress and exercise in some cases. So understanding what's causing that is, is really important. Uh, and so the co most common way people would do that, they'd probably uh, see an allergist, they'd maybe do what's called a skin prick test where they'd test your skin. You may have had that done, often it's done in children, to see what are the things that you're allergic to and you try and avoid them or manage them as best you can. Um, but unfortunately, um, you know, there's a number of things influencing this. Climate change is, is influencing, I suppose, we have more extreme weather conditions. We have, you know, things like wildfires. Um, you know, that impacts, you've got a lot more allergens in the external atmosphere and also internally. We have a lot more things in our homes now that can be a potential sensitizer or cause an allergic reaction, ranging from you know the, the materials in the walls of your home right through to maybe chemicals that you use or cleaning products that you use on a daily basis. And all of those are capped within our more and more airtight and energy efficient homes, which means we're more susceptible to. And that's one thing, as you talked about with chemicals, obviously with Norwex, we're trying to that awareness of those harmful chemicals that they have in their home that can be triggers for something like allergies and yeah. asthma. And that's really important because I think, unfortunately, people, you know, maybe who are either companies like yourselves promoting a product, you know, making it clear what the attributes of that product are and how that might be a better choice for people who suffer with these types of challenges is really important. And also, look, there's a big change happening in the industry, as you know, and um, within the cleaning products industry, um, you know, uh, companies are being uh, regulated to be more transparent about the, the active ingredients or the chemicals in their products um, if they're present and to, you know make it aware to the you know the people that they work with their distributors their retailers their consumers as to what you know, what that chemical does so that people can make a choice to say ah you know uh, I, I I'm allergic to a particular type of chemical I can see it in this product therefore it's probably not maybe the best choice for me that's so true. So speaking on that, how do allergy-free products hold up against the environmental variables from changing seasons to the introductions of a new pet into a home? Yeah. Well, I guess I suppose it depends on what one considers to be an, like an allergy-free product or does that even exist? Um, but I suppose where we come across this is two main cohorts. There's uh, products that purport to control or remove allergens from your home or help in that process. Um, and that depends. So, you know, some products work particularly well, maybe when challenged against a particular type of allergen. So maybe it's really good at reducing a dust burden in your home. Maybe you use a vacuum cleaner, for example. Um, but when that's challenged with multiple other environmental variables, you know, it's got pet dander, maybe dust and multiple pollens, um, you know, they can become saturated and may not be highly efficient. 
Um, so it is really important to understand any claim that a manufacturer is making um, and understand the, the basis for that. Um, there's a lot of discussion about the term hypoallergenic at the moment. Hypoallergenic has no scientific or legal or standard basis. It can mean anything a company wants it to mean. But unfortunately, it's been used you know, in the cosmetic industry, in the cleaning products industry, to indicate a product is less likely to cause a, an allergic reaction, for example. But it's, high, it's not regulated. So therefore, um, you know, there's a bit of buyer beware. Um, you know, the good news, I suppose, in certain product categories, uh, we ourselves work with the Asthma Energy Foundation uh, of America, and they operate with us a third-party verification scheme for, for consumer products. So that means the product has to be tested against in, independently against a particular standard, and there's checks and balances in place so that you can look and see the performance of, of the product if they're making an allergy claim. And we're seeing that more and more in the retail market. You know, retailers don't want to sell products um, without having the backup that the product can do what it's saying or purporting to say. You know, so I think it's very much, it's very important to understand what's in the products and if that is going to have a potential impact and at least explain that so that people can then make a choice. Yeah. It's like, the best example I give in this is if you uh, suffer from a shellfish, I hate to pick on the shellfish one, but it's a, it's a common food allergy, right? You know, yes. if you go into a restaurant, uh, you want to know whether the shellfish in, in the product because you don't want to make yourself ill. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, regulation, it varies from country to country. I'm speaking from Europe this evening. We have a lot of regulation around uh, the identification of allergens and food allergens. Every menu you go to, you'll see the list of nine up to 14 different uh, allergens listed may contain. So at least you can make a choice. In other jurisdictions, maybe it's not as well developed. So I think that will change over time. You know, it's, it, consumers want to know, what are they eating? What are we drinking? What are we breathing? Um, and if uh, the last two years of the pandemic had told us anything is we are you know, sometimes not understanding the, uh, what is in the air that we breathe. That is so true. So how can we prepare our homes for seasonal allergies? Okay, so this is a really common, uh, I suppose, conversation we're, we're having at the moment. So I'm going to, I guess, let's make the assumption season allergies are largely related to uh, high pollen outputs. Um, you know, is that what you're thinking, Amy, that you kind of have those, those seasonal ones? So uh, I guess, I mean, you know, understanding that is one, maybe investing in things like pollen screens um, can be helpful. Um, important to understand how they can then be cleaned because what you don't want to do is to trap the, the pollen on the surface and then release it all when you're cleaning it. So again, using a good cleaning regime, uh, good cleaning products. Also regular cleaning. I mean, the National Institute for Health Guidelines um, you know, specify environmental control through good cleaning uh, programs in, in all stages of trying to manage uh, both asthma and allergies. It's the first thing, I guess, you know, you should, if you suffer from these and have to talk to your medical provider, it should be part of the guidance that they give you. You know, if you have you know, hard floors versus carpeted floors, what's your cleaning strategy going to be? If you need to use a, a mop or a vacuum, you know, how should you use that and what guidance is there? You know, making sure you use a device that's not going to redistribute, you know, all the dust on the floor into the air and you breathe it in. So it is, it is important. So I think coming into the seasonal times, uh, reading the guidance that the likes of Apple would have there. So that would include the use of pollen screens and maybe the use of an allergen cycle on, on your washing and not hanging your towels outside if you air dry them so they don't attract pollen. Um, wearing sunglasses actually in air to prevent maybe some of that uh, ingress uh, into the eyes. 
um, and uh, and washing, washing your hair, etc. You know, to try and shed the, the pollen, which pollen, I suppose, it's invisible. Uh, we we can't really see it. Um, you know, they're tiny little sticky particles, if you like. So uh, it can be tricky. Yes. Yeah. I didn't think about the sunglasses, but that's a great tip I hadn't thought about. Yeah, and again, unfortunately, in the good weather, we like to spend so much time outside, and sometimes it may not be the, the best, you know. So, don't go out mowing the grass. I guess it would probably be another, uh, probably obvious tip for most people if you suffer from hay fever. True. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing that comes up when I hear people talk about asthma is whether or not you can develop asthma as you get older, and how much is it affected by their environment. Yeah, I guess mo many people develop asthma as a child, for example, um, but you can get asthma later in life, uh, even in your, you know, your mid, your mid age on. Um, sometimes adults, you know, if they've had allergies as a child and they may get asthma as an adult, um, or they might become sensitive to food or chemicals. Um, and I think adult onset asthma is more, is more, more pertinent for somebody maybe who has suffered as, as a child, if you like. Um, and you need to be careful because if you're taking other medication, for example, with heart medication, that may impact on the strategy your, your medical provider would look at. So I read that roughly 40% of all asthma episodes in the U.S. are caused by housing-based triggers, amounting to a staggering $5 billion lost annually in preventable medical costs, according to the Green and Healthy Homes Initiative. Talk to us more about some of those home-based triggers for asthma. Yeah, it's staggering, isn't it, in terms of the the impact on on this on the, the community, um, and in terms of things that can be prevented. And in fact, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you, you dug into those figures in a bit more detail. You'd probably find that a lot of those are in certain social demographic groups as well. Uh, research we would have taken showed that there's a huge disparity uh, in the healthcare system when it comes to asthma and respiratory allergies. Um, and that cer certain sections of the, the community are much more likely uh, to suffer from these conditions. And that's as, as a consequence, I guess, of maybe the, the social housing mix, if you like, where some of these communities have been traditionally located, maybe in more industrial areas where outdoor uh, air pollution is, is high. Um, they don't maybe have the uh, economic uh, wherewithal to invest in home upgrade systems or indeed the housing that they're actually living in could be substandard. In fact, uh, we did some work with the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia um, some two years ago now. It was clear to identify that, you know, the number one reason for children in, in uh, poor demographics miss school is the result of asthma uh, and it's been triggered by mold in their homes. So what's happening is they're getting sick, they're going to the emergency room, they're probably getting some medication and they're going back into the same environment that triggers it. Um, and it's difficult enough for those those kids, you know, to actually make it through the school system as it is. So there's a huge social impact of, you know, of this as an issue and something we're really trying to, to advocate with our with our colleagues in the Asthma Energy Foundation of America to look at, you know, the housing policy, to look at the quality of the homes, you know, building better from the front end rather than trying to retrofit at, at the back. So a lot of those things are down to those home based triggers and, um, you know, they, they be it mold in, in certain communities. It may well be cockroach or dust mites in others. Um, it then could be pollens, chemicals uh, and dust. So you know, it covers quite a number of, of, of those home-based triggers. But, you know, the, the, the terrible thing to say is, you know, what could be done with that quantum of funding in the medical system in any jurisdiction, not just in, in the U.S.? Um, you know, these you know, preventable episodes really got to, I suppose, up the, the education piece. And in fact, 
We've launched education programs now specifically to target the built environment, looking at the architects, looking at the designers to say, hey, you know what, you know, you can look at all the great design criteria there. But if you don't think about the products that go into buildings, how they're maintained, then we're going to have societal issues. We're working with the, you know, the cleaning uh, associations in the US as well to try and you know, push out that awareness to the professionals working in this industry as well, you know, the facilities management companies. Um, etc the cleaning companies and um, so that we're kind of really not trying to retrofit as i say and not trying to correct a problem but trying to get on that preventative piece in, in the front end that's fantastic that you guys are on that and working with them so closely to try to make those changes and that awareness so with nearly 20 percent of the world population being affected by asthma and allergies it is important that there are resources available to help improve air quality and establish those barriers to allergens that trigger these symptoms. What are some additional resources available? Yeah, you can come to the Allergy Standards website, which is www.allergystandards.com. You can go to www.aafa.org. That's the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America. And they have a lot of useful resources um, you know, there that we work with them on. For example, you know, they'll have a, a back to school guidance and what parents can do maybe. Um, you know, they'll talk maybe about strategies to help control uh, or minimize pollen coming into your home as well. And then on our website, you can look to the, the various attributes and resources we have there, ranging from training and education, right through to details on manufacturers that have particular products that have, are certified under our program. Uh, I'll also mention our academy offering, which is www.allergystandards.academy, and um, where we have some of the training programs in there. Um, and there are some local chapters uh, in the US um, that are uh, working in certain uh, jurisdictions, um, more community-led programs that you can access to the, the AFA website. They also have some good publications. They have a great disparities report, um, and also they have uh, two good programs that they run, uh, sort of asthma capital, sort of the worst places, I guess, in, in, in the US, um, where, where I suppose asthma is such a big impact on, on the community. And um, there's quite a number of organizations working in this area to try and help on the education piece as well, companies such as your own to try and raise this topic, which is really important because it's, there's no one single solution here. This is a multifaceted approach. You know, it's trying to reduce those triggers in your home, having, you know, cleaning for health as opposed to just cleaning for appearance, being careful of what you use for that, and just being aware of the things that can trigger these issues for you. Um, you know, that they're one of the main ways that people can actually make improvements themselves. Good. You touched on that a little bit of, you know, some of the cleaning habits. Um, maybe tell us a little bit of some of those that would help in preventing the allergy and asthma triggers. Yeah, I guess, you know, there's having a regular regular cleaning, probably on, on a weekly basis, you know, making sure that you mi minimize uh, dust in the home. Look at how that gets in there, you know, um, maybe not opening your, your, your windows, shall we say, when you've got high pollen loads outside, looking at the weather reports. You got to balance that versus comfort and ventilation. I do appreciate that. So it can be a little bit tricky. Uh, say looking at maybe pollen screens and how you stop those that ingress. Uh, you know, there's always an interesting one when it comes to pets. You know, um, you know, lots of people have pets, lots of people have allergies of pets as well. And probably in an ideal world, you'd say, well, maybe that's probably not the best choice. But I think you know, we have other, we get other things from our pets as opposed to to just you know the worrying about the allergies that are there. And there is some research going on into you know looking at sort of. Uh, some of the litter systems that are used and how they could be, uh, I suppose, more uh, helpful when it comes to kind of control allergens in place. Uh, I guess looking at your your laundry cycle, um, you know, regular changing of 
you know, if your bedding um, is, is really important and making sure that the, the wash temperature um, is, is there to deal with any kind of bed bugs, things like that. Um, and then you know, being really careful with kind of chemical products that you bring into home and use in your home um, so that you're not really introducing more and more triggers. And if you do use a device, you know, for cleaning your floors, for example, or indeed a, a, an air filtration system or a purifier or a, an air conditioning unit, looking to make sure that what you're using is actually going to have a positive impact. We've seen a huge amount of, you know, product claims made over the course of the last couple of years, particularly when it comes to dealing with microbes and more specifically viruses in our home environment. Um, and, you know, a lot of new technology coming out, which are not backed by scientific evidence to say that they actually do have, have a short term impact, maybe in removing some of these items. But the long term health benefits, what is that, you know, if they're so it is, I think it is being really careful. Um, and looking beyond maybe just the, the marketing material that the manufacturer supplies say, well, who's actually verified that? You know, who has actually double checked? Um, and the, you know, the surveys, we, we survey members of the, the, uh, the communities and members of the public on an annual basis. Uh, and every time we do, you know, you know, third party verification, strong scientific claims is really important to people. Um, and so they're, they're looking beyond, you know, um, what the claim made is. Uh, and more and more of the consumer reports activities, the number of the folks we interact with, um, you know, who are concerned about the that's what the quality of products put on the market are looking at this in a more rigorous fashion. Um, and I think that's only going to continue. Yeah, I think you're right. As far as just going to continue, um, that's one thing that I was going to ask is, will we see a decrease in allergies and asthma or is it going to be ongoing? And it sounds like it's going to be ongoing. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things influencing that. I suppose one, detection rates are probably higher, maybe. Um, there's more and more sensitizers being identified from a scientific perspective all the time. I, I think sometimes um, there can be a misdiagnosis maybe of asthma when there's maybe another underlying condition. But I suppose if you looked at it in terms of respiratory illnesses, they are on the increase. And, and there's, you know, there's global factors affecting that. The climate change is certainly affecting that. Um, and there's also, I suppose, getting the balance right between the quality of our homes and trying to make them energy efficient um, and making sure that we also have them well ventilated so that we don't create problems in, in, in the home place. And I certainly think that with the, the rise of wellness as an issue, both in, in our, our personal lives and in our working lives, people are, are concerned. I mean, it's one of the major, one of the top reasons why people buy new homes in the U.S. at the moment. And um, one of the first things asked about air quality, you know, if you take that back, maybe a generation ago, maybe would probably be around the construction of the building, you know, and, you know, and, and, and more kind of uh, physical parameters. Um, but the American Association of Home Builders are now seeing this, you know, that that is a, not, a really, really important topic for people. Um, and, there, you know, while people have, I suppose, understood the provenance around sustainability when it comes to things like, you know, maybe some of the products they buy online. I'm thinking of the fashion industry, for example. Uh, you know, and they're, they're concerned maybe about you know where those products are being made and the, the governance arrangements around how that's done. I think the impact of the product in the home is is really it's something that's a topic area. It's going to come up at the Cleaning Products Conference I'm speaking at in September and this year. And, and it's understanding, you know, what, what products are we using? How are we using them? And is there any long-term impact on our health from using them? There are great things that we all need to be thinking about. This has been so helpful. There's so many resources out there that will help us to learn more. Is there anything else you'd like to add? 
Yeah, I guess, look, this is all about education for us. I mean, that's why we're, that's why we do what we do. Um, you know, it's fantastic that there's more and more organizations looking at this now. Um, if you think about it, you know, ensuring that your product does no harm fits into most companies' ESG goals. I think we've made the assumption that products, because they meet, say, building code or they meet, you know, uh, safety requirements, and you know, we didn't need to do any more. But I think we've realized as a, as a, an industry, if you like, and also as a society that, you know, if we could protect the, the most vulnerable and the most sensitive, then that's probably a better solution overall. Um, and that, you know, I suppose the, the the last thing we we always say in any of the conversations, we're looking, you know, we're always learning. We want to try and help organisations bring the, their messaging out, uh, and feel free to reach out if we can help in any way. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, we're so happy that you joined us today. Thank you so much. We learned a lot, and I look forward to a future conversation about this. Thanks a lot. Love you speaking, Jamie. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to share with friends and family and don't forget to follow and subscribe.